Well, this morning's scripture passage, you know, there are many scripture passages that do this, but I believe this morning's scripture passage is one that especially takes us to a time and a place very different from our own. This passage tells us of unfamiliar clothing items, like the ephod. I know of no one who wears an ephod. And if they did, I'm not sure what I would think about them, but they would either need to be dressing up for some, something or probably at some fair doing something odd. And I don't know if I would want to know them. I know of no one who wears an ephod. And not only that, this is a passage that speaks of, of mysterious things like the, the Urim and the Thummim which continue to baffle both English speakers who try to pronounce these things and biblical scholars who can only give educated guesses as to what these things truly were. This passage from God's word gives details of animal sacrifices that seem to most of us modern readers extreme and to some of us offensive. I mean, these, these are illegal in our country, many of these things that occurred, and there would be people picketing if these things were going on in our country, and there are people picketing over things like this. There's also the mention of things like burnt offerings, the pouring of oil on heads, and the putting of ram's blood on ears, on thumbs, and toes. These are practices that we don't practice at home, I don't know about you, but very odd-sounding This makes it a difficult passage for us to understand and to apply to our lives as 21st century Christians. And yet this passage, which records God's instructions to Moses about how he was to institute and consecrate the priesthood for the old covenant people of God, is not merely profitable for its historical significance, but for the way that it reveals, as all scripture in some way, shape, or form does, the person and work of Jesus Christ. It gives us insight into what it means to be God's people who trust in a great high priest and are following after him. Now to see the various gospel connections, to to try and put some order to this passage that we can follow along with, I'm going to be looking and considering three different things from this passage. First, the nature of the priesthood. Second, the consecration of the priest. And then finally, the ministry of the priest. I'll be moving around a little bit, but I believe this is a a helpful way to look at this passage and then make some application to our lives. So first, we consider the nature of the priesthood, which consisted of of two parts. First, it was a priesthood of the people. It sounds familiar. Uh, uh, Government of the people. This was a priesthood of the people, meaning God chose his priest from among the Israelite people. Exodus 28.1 tells us that Moses was to bring his brother, Aaron, along with his sons, Aaron's sons, from among the people of Israel to serve the Lord as priests. That God would choose men from among Israel to serve as his priests reminds us that the Lord uses his people to do his work. This is an important biblical truth to find in this passage. God did not assign to angels the important tasks related to the tabernacle, and he did not make the tabernacle a self-service worship experience. There was no drive-through sacrifice. You could not check yourself out, bring the lamb, and do all the, the work that needed to be done for the sacrifice and put it on the altar yourself. God determined that his people would need others to do these things. Aaron, his sons, and their descendants were given the great responsibility from God of carrying out the various tasks related to the tabernacle and then the temple. These things were important, very important, 
As we have already seen in previous weeks, it was through the tabernacle and then the temple where God would meet with his people. This is the most holy place on earth at this time. And this is where God is communing and speaking to his people. So you see, God determined that a group of people from among his people would play a vital role in him dwelling with his people. The principle found here is that God works through his people. He works through people to be with his people. Now this truth found in the Old Covenant priesthood is a truth that remains and applies to the church today. God has chosen to use Christians to serve him and his purposes on earth. The Apostle Peter, in his letter to the persecuted church that was scattered throughout Asia Minor, describes the church of Jesus Christ in 1 Peter 2.9 as a royal priesthood which refers to the change that has occurred in the new covenant. No longer is, is, is only a, a chosen few from among God's people to serve as priests, but now in the greater new covenant, God has determined that all of his people would be his priests. They would be his royal priests. All who have been saved by grace through faith in Christ are now serving the Lord as priests. Peter then goes on in that same passage to tell these Christians that as royal as God's royal priesthood, they are to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter is telling those who have become God's people by grace through faith in Christ that having received God's mercy through Christ, we are now to serve God as his priests. How? How did the priests do it in the tabernacle? They received the offerings. They they put them on on the altar. They they cleansed themselves. They they took care of everything in the tabernacle. Here's how we as God's new covenant priesthood are to serve him. By proclaiming the supremacy of God. Proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness. We're to serve others by telling them, and this, this this is how we serve one another. What, what do I need to hear from you when, when, when I'm struggling? I need to hear not about myself or what I need to do. I need to hear about Jesus from you. And so this is how you serve your brother and sister in Christ. You proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What does the non-believer need? The very same thing. This great responsibility is one of the priestly tasks given to us by God. Yes, there's other tasks that God has called his people to. But here we see in 1 Peter 2.9 that this is one of the tasks that we are given. We're to tell others about how we were in darkness. You were in darkness, which refers to sin and hopelessness. This is not just a light thing. This is not we were, we were stuck in the basement. We were stuck in hell. That's what we're to tell. We, I was going to hell. I had no hope. We're to tell people how we were dead in our sin, unable to save ourselves, but that Jesus Christ, by his perfect life, his sin-atoning death and triumphant resurrection, has saved us. He has given us life and brought us into God's marvelous light. But we are to tell them these things, not so that they would get this idea that we think we're something special. Look at me. I was worthy of, of, of being being. Forgiven of my sins. No, we know what grace is about. We were not worthy. What we are to do is to to tell them these things, minimizing our role. I was dead. Did nothing. I was in my drunkenness, my stupidity, chasing after the things of this world. And even in that, before I was even born, God sent his son to redeem me and all of his people. 
So we're not to tell them so they would think that we're special, those who are lost, but with the hope that they will, by God's sovereign grace, hear this glorious gospel that we are to serve them as priests and that they would believe it and be added to the royal priesthood of God. This is how God is working through history. He is calling his people, his priests, to proclaim the gospel so that more of the lost would hear it and then be added and more of the gospel would be proclaimed throughout the world. The glorious God that he would use us, save us, and not just say, okay, you can sit in the corner and wait for me to come back or until you die, but to bring us into his plan to redeem his people by proclaiming the gospel. The second part of the nature of the priesthood was that God not only chose his priests from among his people, he also made his priests distinct from the people. God set them apart. Exodus 28, 2 tells us that God commanded that Moses make holy garments for Aaron, for glory and for beauty. For glory and for beauty. Then the chapter goes on to describe the eight articles of holy clothing that were to be worn by the high priest. This included a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checker work, a turban, a sash, a plate of pure gold for his forehead, and linen undergarments. And we are also then told about the four articles of clothing that were holy and were to be worn by the other priests in the tabernacle. And what is God's purpose here with these priestly clothing instructions? Well, he was not making some fashion statement. This was not some form of holy bell-bottoms or jankos or skinny jeans. God was not setting a, a fashion precedence in this passage. All the different colors and materials that God instructed Moses to make the priestly garments with and every single detail that was to go into their construction was meant to communicate the glory and the beauty of the Lord. And at the same time, it was to distinguish the priests from the rest of God's people. This set them apart. This, you know, this, this set them apart. You know, I think about the different fashion statements, some of them crazy. You look at them like, they're different, right? <laughs> like, and, and it's not always a good different. Like, something might be wrong with that, but you see that haircut? Like, they're missing half their hair on one side, the other half is standing straight up, and that's cool. Like, they, they stand out. God was saying, my servants have been set apart by me. For, their beauty, for my beauty, and so that you would know that my people are, are to be different. My servants are different. Not everyone was walking around with ephods and sashes. God was teaching his people that they needed a holy servant that was different from them to bring them into his presence. That their relationship with him relied on another who was chosen by God to bring them to him. So if we put these two natures of the priesthood together, we see that the priesthood was made up of priests who came from among the people, but then God made them distinct from the people. I, I, I always set these things up, and I'm hoping by now that at least half of you are seeing the connection already between this two-natured priesthood and our Savior. Church, this speaks to the very same type of priest that we needed to bring us to God and the type of high priest that God has given to us in his son. We needed a high priest from among us, one who is truly one of us and yet at the same time one who is holy and set apart from us and chosen by God who can bring us sinful people into God's holy presence. And that is exactly the type of high priest Jesus Christ is. He is truly from among us. He became human, one of us. Hebrews 2.14 says that Jesus became flesh and blood. This is not a mirage. 
He was not tricking people. He took on flesh and blood. And then in Hebrews 2.17, God's word says concerning Christ, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Partly chose that passage because one of my favorite words, again, is in that passage, propitiation. Though Jesus is from among us, Jesus is distinct from us in a way that is even more distinct than the old covenant priests were from the rest of the Israelites. He's different in a good way, not in the missing half of his hair on one side kind of different. In a glorious and awesome way, he is distinct from even the old priest in the old covenant. God did not have to make Jesus holy so that he could serve as our high priest because being God, Jesus is and always has been holy. Jesus is the long-awaited and greater high priest who is truly man and truly God, able to serve his people like no other high priest because as a sinless human, he is able to satisfy the justice of God against our sin and is at the same time as God able to fully bear God's wrath against our sin. All of this securing his people's salvation and restoring to God forever all who trust in him. Those other priests were foreshadows of this great and greater high priest. The old covenant priesthood laid the groundwork for understanding the superior and greater work of our high priest, Jesus Christ, who alone can bring us into God's presence forever. And that's what we find here in this passage about the priesthood. Then next we are going to consider the consecration of the priest in Exodus 29. Now, this is a very interesting passage. I mean, this is one of those passages where you can get lost in the weeds quickly. I'm going to try and simplify it and just kind of summarize some things and, and point out one main thing from this Exodus 29 chapter in God's Word. This tells us this passage about how God made the priests holy so that they could do their tabernacle work. First, the priests were washed from head to toe, symbolizing spiritual cleansing. Then they were clothed with the priestly garments, and oil was poured on their heads. This is messy. They get cleaned by water, and then they get poured oil over their heads. And not only did it go on their heads, but then it was also running down from their heads onto their holy garments. All of this symbolizing God pouring out his spirit on the priests. Then came the sacrifices. A bull and two rams were slaughtered before the Lord. The bull was a sin offering, the first ram was a burnt offering, and then the second ram was a, an offering for ordination. The priests placed their hands on the head of the animal, and then they killed it, symbolizing that their sin was transferred to that animal. And parts of the bull were burned outside the camp, and later on the, the author of Hebrews makes a connection to, to that part of the sacrifice. And blood from the bull was applied to the altar and on the priest's right ears, right thumbs, and the toes of their right feet, all representing the, the parts of the priest that were not covered by their holy garments. And then the priests and their garments were sprinkled with blood. The consecration ceremony was re repeated for seven days. And then once ordained, the priests offered, their, their ministry involved offering two rams, or two lambs as sacrifices every day, one in the morning and then one at twilight. Along with these and other animal sacrifices that were given, uh, there, were, there was grain and oil and wine offerings that the priests oversaw in their ordination and in the tabernacle. There's a whole lot of symbolism going on. 
a whole lot of, not shaking, but a whole lot of symbolism going on in this passage. So there is much we could consider here, but, but I want you to see most this morning in this passage that this consecrating of the priest shows us once again that the only way that anyone can enter into God's presence is through the shedding of blood. Even God's chosen priests were, were sinners just like the rest of the Israelites and just like us. And the way that they were made holy before the Lord was through sacrifices which allowed them to serve in God's presence. This reality of the need for atonement for sin which is found here and throughout Exodus and throughout Scripture is a truth that is central to the gospel that we believe. It is sent, We cannot get around this. But here's, here's the rub. Here's the difficulty here. And, and maybe you're one of those that is feeling it this morning. And, and I want to especially speak to your heart. As difficult or offensive as it might be to our modern minds, it was true for God's people then and it remains true for us today. We are made holy through a sacrifice. There's much talk and there has been throughout history of what exactly happened on the cross when Jesus died. And some want to kind of set aside the rough edges and I would say what is central to what Christ accomplished and that is he atoned for our sins by becoming our substitute through shedding his blood and giving up his very life. He was the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. And there's no, no getting around that central truth to the gospel that we believe here and that has been historically proclaimed throughout the church through all centuries. So I know there's a rub. You know, I, I grew up with a single mom for 10 years. We never killed anything. We ate almost the same meal every single night. And I have all these hunting friends that tell me these stories. And I, I, I struggle with the thinking. And I'm... I'm, I'm I'm not getting political here. I'm not, I'm not going off into crazy land. I, I'm fine with you hunting, but I have no urge to kill an animal and then clean it. Like I know there's, there's a, this disconnection between me and like my ancestors and how we've lived throughout this, the centuries. But even knowing that disconnection and, and my, my kind of hesitancy towards blood, as a Christian, as a Christian, my salvation is secured by blood. The gospel is all about the atonement. And we see that here in the consecration of the priests. Well, along with revealing the nature of the priesthood and telling us how the priests were consecrated, this passage tells us much about the important ministry that God called the priests to. God repeatedly tells Moses that the priests were to serve him. And in Exodus 28, 41, God says that Moses was to consecrate the priests so that they may serve God as priests. God. They were to be the Lord's servants. However, at the same time the priests were to serve the Lord, their work benefited not the Lord. He needs nothing from us. God did not begin being God when he created us in his image. And he is not going to ever stop being God based on anything we do. He does not need anything. The scriptures reveal that awesome, transcendent thing about God. He is God. We rejoice in that as Christians. He doesn't need us. We need him. He doesn't need us. He needs nothing from us. He lacks nothing. So their work as priests benefited not God, but the Israelite people. Think of the work of firefighters, police officers, and those who serve in the military. Though they work for a city or our country and have superiors who they answer to, the important work that they do is a blessing to us. This is how it was with the ministry of the priests. They worked 
for the Lord, but their work blessed and benefited the Lord's people. There's a a parallel here for us as Christians. Our work is to be a blessing ultimately to other people. Glorify the Lord and be a blessing to other people. Now by looking at what the Lord said about the garments that the priests wore, we can actually find some of the benefits of the priesthood and these same benefits remain for us as Christians through the work of our great high priest, Jesus Christ. Now one of these benefits of the priesthood for God's people can be found looking closer at the ephod and the breastpiece. After the Lord describes the materials that were to be used to make the ephod, we read in Exodus 28, 9 through 12, if you would turn to that passage, Exodus 28, 9 through 12, we read this. You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on the one stone and the names of the remaining six on the other stone in the order of their birth. As a jeweler engraves signets, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree. And you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance." Likewise, after the Lord describes these, these things, we read in verse 21, there shall be 12 stones, this is about the breast piece, there shall be 12 stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the 12 tribes. So on the, the high priest who wore these holy garments, the names of the Israelites were inscribed twice. The tribes of the Israelites were inscribed twice. And he would go before the Lord Verse, 28, or verse 29 in Exodus 28. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. Both the ephod and the breastpiece were, which were worn by the high priest had the names of the Israelites just totally all over him. They were both places. He was wearing these two pieces before the Lord. The high priest was was bringing the Israelites' names before the Lord for remembrance. And this was an important part of the high priest's ministry. He, He did part of his ministry by just wearing clothes and walking into the Lord's presence. It was so important that it was part of his very clothing, this ministry. It was written into the fabric and and part of his very attire. Now we might think that this is a bit odd, this language that is used in this passage. After all, if God does not need anything and God is is sovereign and omniscient, why would God need a reminder of his people's names? Is he forgetful? The truth is that God, again, doesn't need a reminder. He is omniscient, knowing everything about everyone. He does not forget people's names. The benefit was not for the Lord's memory when the names of his people were brought before him by the high priest through the ephod and the breastpiece. The benefit was for God's people. Through these stones that the high priest wore, the people were given assurance. This this was a, a means of assurance that the Lord remembered his people, not just abstractly, but by name. They defined themselves by the tribe that they were from. And seeing the high priest in his garments reminded them that the Lord knew their name. These stones were visible signs that reminded God's people that he knew them, that he heard their prayers, that he, the creator and sustainer of their lives, was in a covenant relationship with them. 
through these stones with the tribes of Israel's names on them, God revealed to his people then, and he reveals to us today that he is a personal God who knows his people by their name. There is no other God like this God, so above and beyond, in need of nothing from us, and yet willing to condescend and be with us sinners. This is a great foreshadowing of the relationship that the Christian has with their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Think of of Jesus' words in John 10, verse 14 and verse 27. Remember them? Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. John 10, 27, he said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Wow. The God of the universe took on flesh and he knows us, his people, personally. Do you have this type of relationship with Jesus Christ? Does he know your name? And I'm not merely speaking in the sense that as God he knows your name, but does he know your name in the sense that you are one of his own people? The only way a person can answer yes is if they have acknowledged him as their Lord and Savior, as their great high priest, trusting in him alone to stand in the presence of God to bear their name. He needs to be your name bearer before the Lord. It's the only way that he can truly call you and the only way that you are truly his people. And Christ bears the name of his people, not symbolically on a stone that he wears, but in his heart and by the wounds which he bore on the cross. This is so wonderfully described in one of the songs that we sing. It's an old hymn. We sing a modernized, modernized version, but the, the, the hymn, Before the Throne of God. Remember it? Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. High priest, my name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that well in heaven he stands. No tongue can bid me thence depart. Beautiful words that capture this reality of Christ, our high priest, who bears our name in his graven hands marked by the cross and in his heart. Christian, your name has been and continues to be brought before the Lord because your Savior, Jesus Christ, stands before the Father and has brought your name to to God. How does he know your name? Jesus has given your name to the Father. This is mine. I know him. I know her. I've purchased him or her at the cross. Another great benefit of the priesthood was that through the ministry of the priests, God dealt with the people's sins. We can see this through two means. First, in that the Israelites came to the tabernacle mainly to make sacrifices. This is one of the reasons why they came there over and over again. Sacrifices for their sins. And the priests were the ones responsible for carrying out these sacrifices for their sins at the altar. They're the only ones that could go to the altar and make these sacrifices. They were the ones that God called to do the very thing that would allow his people to dwell among him and for him to dwell with them. They were the ones that made the required sacrifices and the payments for their sin. Now we can also see this essential ministry of the priests through God's description of the purpose of some of their clothing. The high priest's clothing. Exodus 28.30 tells us that the high priest was to bear the judgment of the people with the breast piece that he wore when he went before the Lord. 
And then in Exodus 28, 38, we read that, that the plate of pure gold that was part of the turban, so there's this piece of pure gold that had on it inscribed the phrase, holy to the Lord, that that piece was to bear any guilt from the holy things that the Israelites gave as offerings to the Lord. The Israelites' sins were symbolically removed from them and taken on by the high priest when he went into the Lord's presence wearing the breast piece and this, this golden plate. These are, of course, more glorious foreshadowings in the Old Testament of the work of Jesus Christ for his people. He is the high priest who made the sacrifice for us at the cross. And though we often think of him as the Lamb of God who takes away our sin, there's this other aspect that I don't know we often connect to our salvation. And that he is the high priest who bore God's judgment. Just like the old covenant high priest would take on symbolically the judgment of God and the guilt of the people. Yes, he is our Lamb from God who takes away our sins, but he is our high priest who bears the judgment that we deserve. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There are many great truths for us to apply to our lives from Christ's priestly work. And I have worked to try and show you some of them. And I do hope that you'll go back over these things and maybe remember some of them. The Lord will bring some application out and and you'll see some of the things that I've worked to to show you. But I will end with one more of them. Maybe my favorite that I, I was enjoying as I worked my way through this sermon and prepared to preach. Since Jesus Christ has borne our sins completely once and for all, when we sin, we are to go to Christ repeatedly. Not just that time of salvation when we were justified, declared righteous, but over and over and over again, every single time we sin, we come back to the same source. The source of our salvation is the same source for our continued salvation. We are to go to him every single time we sin. And we're so prone not to. We beat ourselves up. Sometimes pride says, I've tried that. I know that I'm saved, but now I've got to work through this. I've got to punish myself. I've got to bear my own cross. That, that language is not for your salvation, but for you serving Christ and being persecuted for the glory of God. No, we are to run to the cross every single time we sin and remember the gospel in his book, Note to Self, uh, it's a, it, I commend it to you. Uh, it's, it's very much like the gospel primer, which we offer in our little bookstore, discounted. We're not making any money off those books. We want them in your hands. We, we give them to you as, as cheap as we can just to keep that thing going. Um, but, but it's very much like the gospel primer, and it's called Note to Self. So I commend it to you, and it's written by a pastor named Joe Thorne. And he gives this encouragement, which I came across this week and applies to this very truth of, of Christ's priestly work. You can and must return to God daily. His promise is that he will receive you as you come, in faith, not in moral purity. This is what gospel confidence looks like. It is not an insincere approach to God that dismisses our corruption while presuming on his grace, but a heartfelt dependency on the grace of Christ to make us acceptable at all times. Friends, there is no other high priest like Jesus. And there is no one who can help us with our sin problem and our need for forgiveness the way that Jesus can. So why are we so often going to other sources, other means? 
It's foolishness. It will only do our hearts a disservice. Because as the author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 7, 24 and 25, Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. I encourage you. And I'm not speaking here mostly to the non-believer. Yes, of course, you need Christ to be your high priest. I'm speaking to you, church. Draw near to Christ this morning. Enjoy him. And remember that your salvation continues to be in him and not by your own doing. Your sanctification is this, is this work where you're continuing to remember the gospel but fight against sin and, and battle it and it is hard. But your justification remains solely based on Christ and his finished work. So draw near this day to God through Jesus Christ who is your great and perfect high priest. You need him today just as much as you needed him the first day you were saved. Let's pray. O oh, Father, in heaven, who is holy and mighty and glorious. This passage about the old covenant priest reveals to us your son, who is our greater and perfect high priest. I pray, Father, that, that these truths about who Christ is, found and foreshadowed in the Old Testament, but fully revealed and made known in the New Testament, would be fully embraced by your people. And not simply mentally, but in their hearts. That they would find great joy today and always in their high priest who stands before you, bearing their name. Reminding them that they are yours and you are their God. Father, we praise you for this gospel and all of its depth. How all of your word reveals to us things about Jesus. And may those who are here right now not trusting in Christ repent even now in these closing moments of our worship and join us as the priesthood of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.